Book two, chapter one of The Mask by Florence Irwin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Book two, The Maelstrom. There was not the slightest danger that Alison Howland would ever forget her wedding trip, nor that she would wish that it might be repeated. It lasted two weeks and terminated in New York. Her first view of that great city was in the autumnal twilight and from the approaching ferryboat. She stood on the front deck gazing alternately at the foaming water and the pale evening sky, and watching the marvelous panorama unfold. Great buildings were fire-sketched against a darkening background. Flashing electric signs broke into showers of emeralds and rubies, and zigzagged their multicolored lightning across the dim spaces. The ghost of a haze enveloped the magic city and overhead a few white stars heralded night's ever-recurring miracle. Alison, looking upward, wondered if those could possibly be the same stars that twinkled over the Coningsboro rectory. Coningsboro, and everything connected with it, seemed distant by worlds of space and eternities of time. Suddenly there flashed into the girl's mind the old-fashioned rhyme, Star-light, star-bright, first star i've seen to-night i wish i may i wish i might have the wish i wish to-night what wish would she wish to-night if she were sure that it was going to be granted she hardly knew they drove from the ferry to the twenty-eighth street boarding-house which was to be their home during their search for an apartment some coningsboro friends had recommended this house to the howlands and Alison, who had taken it for granted that they would stop at an hotel, was not a little surprised at the eagerness with which Phil welcomed the idea. Little did she know of his financial plight. He realized that flat-finding would probably be a work of time, and, also, that demands on his wife's private purse could hardly be made with decency during the honeymoon. His own purse was disappointingly light after the fortnight's wedding journey and the prenuptial expenses. A well-recommended boarding-house was a godsend. A shabby-colored waiter answered their ring and conducted them through a labyrinth of halls, well-lighted and carpeted on the lower stories and at the front of the house, dimmer and dingier as you went upward and backwards. Look down and not up might well have been the motto of the house the servant left them at their own door and the bride and groom entered and gazed upon their new abode it was indescribably dreary even a handsome room lacking the personal touch is uninviting a shabby one is dismal beyond words when alison found that in lieu of a bathroom she was provided with a washstand and that her entire supply of hot water would be left at her door in a minute jug she decided that it would not be long until her own apartment sheltered her. She would lose no time in finding it. Dinner was announced by a gong, and Phil and Alison responded to the call. The dining-room was very unlike any preconceived ideas of New York that the girl may have formed. A suite of three long, narrow rooms had been thrown into one, small round tables each accommodating four persons were placed in a juxtaposition that left mere passageway the light was glaring the wallpaper was hideous the chairs were mismated but the linen was clean two colored men in white jackets and two white maids in huge fuzzy pompadours waited upon the guests 
the food was more pretentious than appetizing a number of courses succeeded each other and their printed list would have made a fairly impressive menu but nothing tempted the palate it was the sort of meal that made one cling to the demitas of black coffee which formed its final course as to a life preserver and then go upstairs to nibble candy for the balance of the evening alison looked around on her fellow boarders and saw nothing very worthy of attention it was a dead level of commonplaceness the men wore business clothes and the women were in dark skirts and light blouses opinions seemed to be about evenly divided on the subject of hats or no hats although four places were laid at the table to which alison and her husband were conducted no one came to occupy the other two chairs during the first few courses phil was in one of his moody and irritable fits and alison was playing the already familiar role of pacifier and succeeding fairly well when there was an approaching frou-frou of silken skirts and two persons a man and a woman took the vacant places at the howlands table on looking up alison nearly caught her breath in surprise the woman beside her was phenomenally tall and the impression of height was further increased by her extreme slenderness although broad-shouldered and deep-bosomed she was the typification of willowy length her shining hair dark as a raven's wing was closely bound around a beautiful oval head in defiance of the fashion of the day which demanded elaborate coiffures great black eyes heavy-lidded and long-lashed burned under penciled brows in a face that was the color of a camellia petal the lady's costume was no less striking than its wearer its color was scarlet as vivid as her lips the skirt dragged in a heavy swishing train and the bodice was cut in a startlingly daring point leaving the opening to be filled with a transparent film which enhanced with no attempt at concealing the beauty it covered a tight-wired collar of this same thin stuff rose to the ears from the tips of which depended huge gold hoops that almost swept the shoulders four bows of formal greeting were exchanged as the newcomers took their seats the brilliant lady presently began to talk to her husband if so inadequate a person might be supposed to occupy that position but at the howlands the gist of the conversation was such as to make one rather wonder how she happened to be stopping in her present humble abode rather than in some more congenial resort of the fashionable world which apparently clamoured so loudly for her presence toward the end of the meal an awkward thing happened phil whose table manners were always rather sprawling upset his coffee by great good luck it did not inundate any of his neighbours it merely ruined the tablecloth and necessitated much sopping but it was enough to fan into a blaze the already sufficient irritation of the offender come on let's get out of this he muttered fiercely and his wife had no choice but to follow in his wake leaving her own coffee untasted she let him swear himself out when they reached their own room that was one of the useful lessons that her honeymoon had taught her are you tired he suddenly demanded a little she answered why because i don't propose to spend the evening in this damned hole there isn't even a chair that's fit to sit in i'm going out do you want to come what to do just take a walk 
Oh, Phil, dear, I don't think I care to do that, after traveling all day. Just as you please, he snapped. I'm going. Realizing that it was a question of spending her first New York evening alone in a boarding-house bedroom, or of following her lord and master into the streets, Alison wisely chose the latter course. In spite of her weariness, she was glad that she had come. They went over to Fifth Avenue, and she had her first glimpse of that wonderful thoroughfare. Although the season had not yet opened, she thought that the rush and the blaze of that night could scarcely be surpassed. Millions of carriages there seemed to be, miles of pleasure haunts, and myriads of pleasure seekers. It was like a hectic city of dreams. At length even Phil was tired of walking. Not, however, till Alison was nearly dropping with fatigue. Then, in spite of her protest, he insisted on conducting her into a garish restaurant for a nightcap. You can't order ginger ale or lemonade here, he warned her. You'd make me look silly. Very well, she acquiesced. Although the approval of a waiter in a restaurant did not seem to her to be of great moment, she did not care to open a discussion. She had no particular views or prejudices on the liquor question, never even having heard it discussed. A glass of sherry or port was a very usual form of hospitality in Coningsboro. And Alison, reminding herself that she was now a married woman and must submit to her husband's will, when she could do so without loss of self-respect, thought nothing of permitting the drink to be ordered. "'What will you have?' asked Phil. "'I don't know. I'm not up on such subjects. You'll have to order for me. What are you going to take?' scotch and soda but i don't believe you'd like it suppose you try a mint julep and he gave the order alison didn't like her drink but she didn't say so she sipped it and nibbled the mint and the fruit with which it was mistakenly garnished and put in time as best she could she had plenty of it to put in phil drank a surprising amount and grew happier with each glass over and over again did Alison urge departure, but she was always told to wait a minute. Finally they rose. Phil swayed a little just at first, but regained his equilibrium almost immediately. He controlled his legs better than he did his tongue, which ran like a mill-clapper. He was not drunk, but he was distinctly not sober. Once home he almost fell into bed and into noisy sleep. Tired as she was, Alison lay awake for hours, trying to close her ears to his snores and her nostrils to the nauseating smell of whiskey. She heard all the weird night sounds of a big city, the unearthly meowing of alley cats, the roll of cabs, replaced later by the rattling of early milk carts. Even the tinkle of milk bottles in her own area found her still unsoothed and unsleeping. And this was Alison Howland's welcome to New York, she of the Coningsboro Rectory. Flat hunting proved discouraging work. After Alison had once learned to find her way around the city, her husband delegated the task entirely to her. As he very sensibly said, she was the one who must be pleased, and the one who was hard to please. He was no help in the matter. She never knew how Phil spent his days. She always left him in bed in the mornings. He said he would rather do without breakfast than get up for it. 
if she returned to luncheon phil had gone and he never came home till dinner-time her breakfast she ate alone but her luncheon she shared quite frequently with the tall beauty whose name it developed was shapley to her alison disclosed her discouragement rents are simply appalling she said mrs shapley smiled languidly her pose was that nothing was really too expensive if she did without a thing it was from lack of desire not from economy you will have to get used to new york prices she said indulgently you and mr shapley are new yorkers i suppose no not exactly mr shapley's home was in milwaukee but he has been in business in new york for some years and although i have lived here only since my marriage i have always known the city very well we are about to move into an apartment uptown i have just found one that i think will suit us i wish i were as lucky all the uptown flats that i have seen were simply awful to say nothing of their expense the rooms were small and many of them were dark and had no outlook except on an air shaft there was no closet room whatever and the bathrooms were scarcely big enough to turn around in and there was a raw crude look to them that i simply hated i am growing quite discouraged i told mr howland yesterday that i was going to look downtown instead of up oh you will find nothing there no one lives downtown you will never see anything of your friends down there have you friends in new york no none my mother has a cousin living here but she hasn't returned to town for the winter yet we are to meet her when she does she lives downtown i think isn't gramercy park downtown oh yes but that is different that is a very charming part of the city but you won't find any apartments there what is your cousin's name mrs howland her name is gansevoort an odd name isn't it i suppose it's dutch the beauty had looked up quickly her languidness was quite forgotten not mrs bleecker gansevoort she said why yes do you know her no i don't really know her but of course i know of her everyone does she is quite one of the leaders i am sure many of my friends must know her you say you expect to see something of her when she gets back to town yes naturally she is my mother's first cousin the thermometer of the beautiful mrs shapley's cordiality had risen to fever heat her change of manner was amusing you must be tired to death hunting apartments she presently cooed why don't you take an afternoon off and come out with me there is to be a parade of mannequins at felice's this afternoon one of the first that has ever been given in new york it is a french custom you know you may have seen it in paris no i have travelled very little i have never been abroad then you must certainly come with me i am leaving the house at about quarter of four what is it asked alison this parade of mannequins the explanation did not fill her with enthusiasm just having purchased her trousseau she did not look forward to buying any more clothes for some time and while she loved pretty frocks and always wanted her own to be as charming as possible she was not wildly interested in those that she had no thought of getting but mrs shapley could be very insistent when she chose and it ended in alison promising to come to her room a little before four 
she found a resplendent vision awaiting her mrs shapley was robed in purple broadcloth severely cut with a huge corsage bouquet of orchids a purple hat that was as bizarre as it was becoming crowned her sleek black head and her slow eyes and scarlet lips were revealed through the most daring of dotted veils to alison's astonishment a carriage waited at the door for them as they entered it mrs shapley said graciously you have one of the loveliest figures i ever saw i exclaimed alison why it is not nearly as beautiful as yours she was sincere but she was mistaken mrs shapley's figure was like a fashion plate she devoted her life to its care she dieted and exercised and had massage and medicated baths and heaven knows what in the interest of this same figure but she would have given much for the beautiful natural lithe lines of the girl at her side the head was so proudly set the long slender curves of throat and hips and bust were so exquisitely drawn the look of blood and of race was so apparent all the terry girls were beautifully finished their hands and feet and wrists were slender their insteps were arched their fingertips were pointed this finishing is a gift in itself and a rare one mrs shapley and her guest fell to talking again of flats i don't want many rooms said alison but i do want them fairly large i feel as if i couldn't stand being cooped up in those tiny boxes i couldn't breathe freely in them mrs shapley was rather clever at drawing inferences as well as at extracting information i suppose you were accustomed to large rooms at home she purred that is exactly it of course i don't expect nor need rooms as large as the ones we had there but these others look like chicken coops in comparison she laughed as she said it where was your home mrs howland in a small place probably you never heard of it coningsboro my father mr terry is the episcopal clergyman there coningsboro you don't mean it i wonder if you knew a girl named lila russell oh yes indeed do you know her yes she was a school friend of my sister's rhoda norton really i have met your sister then after a pause alison added and i suppose you are the beautiful madeline norton of whom lila talked so much did she talk of me yes i was madeline norton poor little lila she was rather vulgar wasn't she my sister used quite to pity her and we had her stay at the house in order to form her vulgar though lila certainly was alison had no intention of discussing her with this very new acquaintance neither did she think that there was much to choose between lila and rhoda she had a shrewd idea that with these two girls it was a case of birds of a feather also that each bragged of the other's elegance merely to enhance her own importance which only goes to show that we don't always make just the impression that we think we are making the parade of mannequins was one of the most surprising things that alison howland had ever seen the simpering posturing models the wonderful costumes their calculated allure which alison felt without understanding the indecency of the evening gowns not yet toned down to wearing possibility the stupendous price of everything the rapt attention of the audience and the dawning realization of what a tremendous force in the world this close greed might easily come to be 
all combined to make a very odd impression on the quietly reared girl the aftertaste of it was distinctly disagreeable it is needless to say that mrs shapley lost no time in writing home for mrs howland's credentials and that her sister's reply dilating as it did on gertrude's marriage was eminently satisfactory mrs shapley became sweetness itself and alison found that she had acquired a new friend whether she wanted her or not a few days later alison discovered the exact apartment that she was seeking and she found it downtown it was nine blocks lower than the boarding-house where they were stopping and because of its location was considerably cheaper than the unattractive uptown flats which she had so disliked even at that it cost enough she could hardly wait to take her husband down to it fortunately he too approved it was in what had once been a large and beautiful dwelling the street floor which was an english basement was now used as a shop and the upper stories as lofts the principal floor had been turned into an apartment a doorway at the side of the shop entrance gave admission to it and the one flight of stairs made an easy approach a magnificent living-room ran across the entire front although its windows looked out only upon the high office buildings opposite the windows themselves were large and there were four of them alison could already imagine them curtained and draped and supporting window-boxes on their broad outside ledges but even better than the windows and almost as good as the general size of the room was the piece de resistance a big open fireplace at one end with a delightful inglenook surrounding it the open fires at st mary's rectory had been so much a matter of course and winter evening life had so naturally clustered round them that alison had no idea how much they meant to her until she had contemplated replacing them with gas logs or radiators she had yet to learn the inconvenience of ashes but even that inconvenience never offset the advantage to her mind back of the living-room and at right angles to it lay an almost equally attractive dining-room by the side of which ran the hall the rest of the apartment consisted of a kitchenette a pantry which might well have been called a pantryette a bathroom a large bedroom and two smaller rooms one of which alison planned to use for her husband's study and the other for a servant's room and that was all there was no guest-room and no storeroom but you can't have everything the size and beauty of the three principal rooms the easy stairs the sunniness and airiness the fireplace and the rent all combined to make an almost ideal whole they signed the lease that day alison's own bedroom furniture was to be sent down from coningsboro together with several odd bits in the way of chairs tables and china her parents wedding gift had been her table silver a beautiful oriental rug and a check judge howland had given a silver tea service and aunt debbie a clock coningsboro gifts had included lamps pictures silver china and glass alison's outfit of linen was complete aunt juliet's thousand was untouched as yet and there were still phil's things to come these on investigation proved to be very disappointing only the books a morris chair and a fairly presentable divan were really fit to use 
the work of furnishing was delightfully interesting although it meant a substantial slice off alison's fund her natural taste and early associations combined in directing her toward the best then too the size of her rooms and their beautiful lines amply warranted proper treatment so it was decided to buy furniture that would last a lifetime and adorn any possible future home to alison howland it seemed more extravagant to spend a little money for something you didn't like and didn't want than to spend considerable money for something you liked greatly when the servant question was definitely broached phil had successfully evaded it a number of times there was a surprise awaiting the young wife her husband pointed out to her that considering new york wages a servant would be a very expensive luxury but i have to have one don't i demanded alison i can afford to pay one myself this was the first mention between them of her money judge howland however had seen to it that she should know of the allowance he made his son and the terms on which it would be continued i think answered phil rather evasively that you will find other uses for your money twenty-five hundred a year is a mighty small income in new york twenty-five hundred but that takes no account of what you make that is all extra isn't it anyhow my father's salary is only two thousand new york isn't coningsboro my dear child and while your father's salary may be only two thousand he doesn't pretend to live on it he is a rich man he must have at least four times two thousand you didn't suppose that you lived on his salary did you i don't know i never thought anything about it i remember now though that father did tell me that he had an income of his own how much have we to live on phil i have just told you twenty-five hundred dollars he avoided her eyes but that is my income plus your father's allowance without counting what you make i don't suppose you asked me to marry you on your father's allowance did you certainly not but can't you see that an author's income is of necessity uncertain it is not like a salary editors and publishers pay when they please some magazines pay on acceptance some on publication some are as slow as the devil it is impossible to count definitely upon my income oh i see she cried we will have it but we don't know just when or just what it will be still i think that won't matter we'll soon learn to make some sort of an average and know what we can afford what was your idea about a servant phil why look here al you can boil eggs and toast bread can't you and make coffee if you can't i can of course i can well that's all that is necessary all that we shall want for breakfast will be fruit cereal toast and coffee eggs sometimes for luncheon we'll simply picnic fruit and jam and salads there are delicatessen shops where you could buy cold roast fowls and ham and tongue and even salads then there are tinned things and cheese and every night we'll dine out and make a lark of it i see said the girl rather slowly that might be rather good fun for a while but i should think we'd get awfully tired of it not at all we'll go from place to place and it will never be monotonous what about bad nights well you don't mind a bit of weather do you and nights when we don't feel well 
then we won't want to eat what about dishwashing for just two of us and two light meals each day it will be child's play the laundry will all be sent out and the bread and rolls will come from the bakers it will be a cinch who'll sweep and scrub why i don't know i suppose there are charwomen that come by the day nine-tenths of the people in new york live that way al it was a novel outlook to the girl she wasn't afraid of work but she had not expected as a bride to provide more than half the combined income and then do the housework as well that sort of idea had never occurred to her however she had long since discovered that marriage produces many surprises this was but one more added to the list both the shapleys and the howlands were forced to tarry longer than they had expected at the boarding-house in twenty-eighth street there are always unforeseen delays when it comes to getting settled in new homes mrs shapley was forever seeking alison lending her books taking her driving sending her flowers and inviting her in for chats mrs shapley's room was a very large one at the head of the stairs and it was quite a bower of chaise long and blue satin covers and elaborate toilet appliances to say nothing of dozens of photographs of its mistress taken in every variety of costume and pose alison hated always to be accepting and never returning but she was given no choice one rainy morning she decided not to go out about eleven o'clock there came a tap on her door it was a hairdresser seeking to be directed to mrs shapley's room alison lunched alone and was told by the maid that mrs shapley was not feeling well and had ordered a tray sent up to her returning to her own bedroom it occurred to alison that it might be a part of decency to go and make inquiries her new acquaintance had been so exceedingly friendly she therefore went down the hall and tapped at mrs shapley's door come in called the voice of the owner she was in bed the effect of the hairdresser's ministrations was amply apparent the raven tresses though still sleek and tightly bound were gorgeously ondulate in flat shining waves the room was heavy with the scent of gardenias and the light was carefully shaded but alison was distinctly embarrassed even in that dim light at the very open irish laciness of her hostess negligee they had talked perhaps half an hour when the visitor noticing a slight nervousness in her hostess manner and perceiving her frequent glances at the clock rose to go at that moment there was a knock at the door and the rare color flew into mrs shapley's face it is my doctor i imagine she explained i have not been well and was forced to send for him alison withdrew and passed the arriving physician in the doorway he was a fashionable-looking carefully groomed blond man of about fifty it was a rather stupid afternoon to alison for the rain continued to pour until a quarter of six when it suddenly stopped she decided to run out for a breath of air before dinner just as she passed mrs shapley's door it opened and out came the doctor good gracious thought the girl what long calls they make in new york and she said something of the same sort to her husband that night in one way she told him i don't think your busy new york is so awfully rushed when he heard what she meant he first stared at her and then put back his head and roared 
the next evening at dinner mrs shapley announced that she was ordered to atlantic city for a week my throat has been troubling me she explained i fear you'll be gone when i return dear mrs howland but i have your address and we certainly shall not lose sight of each other end of book two chapter one